morning, bro. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm well. I'm rested. I had a shower, uh, so I feel awake. Um, Did you have your weekend nap? Do you know, I've had my weekend nap almost every day this week, which has been incredible. Um, <laughs> in like different positions as well. I think it was a couple of days ago, <laughs> I had it in the conservatory, which was very nice. It was, it was warm. I had my legs over the chair and just, just dozed. That was actually wonderful. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not bad at all. I mean, uh, for the listeners, uh, background information, it was a bit challenging for us to get ourselves set up for the podcast today. Um, both of us had things going on in the, around in the background to to make this happen. And because whenever that happens, my mindset is, you know, how do we make this as streamlined as possible? And what it has reminded me is... It is a year since we started this podcast. Um, we've been been doing this now for actually over a year, for over 52 weeks. And I remember that because it was the 21st, I believe, of, mm. of March last year when we went into lockdown and you and I had a conversation and said let's let's start this podcast and yeah we didn't actually do a podcast um on the 21st because it was my wife's birthday um and then following that we had another discussion which wasn't recorded uh and and now here we are so i think yeah it's it's something that we should should mark and something that we should consider uh and and in that just thinking about all of the different times that we've had to reschedule or rework the podcast when we meet up in order to make it work. And the fact that we've managed to do this for consistently a year now, I'd say is definitely something we should we should uh, recognise. And celebrate. Um, I, mm. I remember a question by um, a wonderful young lady um, at your wedding, and she was asking about our previous mastermind group. And her question was, how did you sustain this? Very simple. Mm. How, how how and why did you sustain this? And my response to that was shared vision. I think the reason why we had continued to do it, not relating to the podcast, but an instance where um, Abby, I, and another friend of ours had a mastermind group where we met fortnightly was I think we had a shared vision. And that shared vision meant that it was rubber stamped and just signposted within our lives. We were committed to it because we all bought into that vision which links to a lot of things that we're going to discuss today. And I think it's something to explicitly share because there are many instances where things fall short of our expectations because there isn't that shared vision. And if you can get mm. that within all the stakeholders, you are one step along the way of actually achieving what you deem to be success. Shared vision, I completely agree. And to steal a line from Simon Sinek, know your why. Mm. And not the why which sounds good to friends and family, or the why that sounds good to colleagues at work, but what is your actual why? And I really encourage people to ask themselves that question. I was in a business um, networking meeting on Friday, and the host, the facilitator, she asked the question, could you introduce yourself and share your why? Um, 
And I think it's a really good way of starting any conversation because you you could see some of the people who were very clear on their why and then some of the people who became very kind of um, pensive and thoughtful so that they could actually articulate it. I think it's a really strong way of actually asking you, why are you doing what you do? Mm. And it, for me, it tells me instantly whether someone's going to be successful or not. Because in, when you have a strong why, you can overcome so many challenges. It was uh, Viktor Frankl, uh, wasn't he? He says, you know, if you have a strong enough why, you can overcome anyhow. anyhow. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um and I think our why has always been about giving back to you, the listener. We have been very fortunate in our lives uh, professionally. And a lot of that is due to people who have been supporting us. And our why was around how can we give back to those individuals who are invested in our journey have fed in or even funded some of our journey mm -hmm. um and are trying to develop their own journey but as well as that afalabi and i have had conversations like this for well over a decade now and most of the conversations we've had i will never remember so from a selfish standpoint another aspect of the why is how do we immortalize the lessons that we're learning so that we can always come back to it and gain further understanding not only of the information that we're sharing but also of ourselves and that evolution mm. because what you think now should differ slightly it's what you think in a few years time um i don't mean a, dr a drastic alternative perspective but i mean an evolution it might mean that you agree with the fundamental principles, but there's a greater and a deeper understanding of why they are fundamental principles. So this has been incredible. Yeah, I can't wait to listen back to this in 10, 15 years time and, and stand up and say, I knew nothing. You know, I didn't know anything. Uh -huh. I, I can't believe I was talking so much rubbish. Um, I'd like to think that most of the information that's been shared now, I will cringe at because of its lower resolution. Mm and I would have moved to a higher level of detail, higher level of understanding. Time will tell. Amen to that. Welcome to Expensive Lessons, everyone. Sorry it's been a while, but we uh, love you. Um, we are um, engaged and we can't wait to delve into today's conversation. As you know, Expensive Lessons is the show where company directors share experiences that they've had share the lessons that they've learned across their decade-long journey um, and hopefully provide you some useful insights so that you can take it away and build your own empire and then send us some money to say thank you, obviously. Thank you in advance for that. Yep. We really appreciate it. Um, and today we've got a really interesting topic. And whenever I think about this topic, I always think of Afalabi. Um, it's something which I think... Partially because the framework that we're going to talk about today was introduced to me by Afalabi, but I think Afalabi does embody many of the concepts, many of the ideas that we're going to be talking about today. So to put you on the spot and have you kick us off, what are we talking about today, Afalabi? Today we're speaking about what is 
arguably the most important aspect of our lives. It is arguably the thing which will dictate our successes. It's arguably the things which will lead us into a state of happiness and shift us from our current state to a future state. And that thing is leadership. Um, to mm. coin or to, to steal John Maxwell's phrase, um, leadership is influence. And thus we are all leaders. To lead, you are influencing another individual. And thus in the world of business, in the world of family, relationships, there is always an exchange of influence. Someone is always influencing another person, whether consciously or subconsciously. And thus, if that is the case, we need to really think about how we are sharpening and channeling our influence and whether we're even aware of its significance. Uh, the better we are in terms of leading, the better we'll be in so many other areas of our lives. Absolutely. And we want to talk about this using John Maxwell's book, um, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Now, we're not going to touch upon each individual law, but we're going to share some of our experiences and pull out some of the key themes, which I think are, are relevant. I want to drill down into something that you said, which you said leadership is influence. And I want to maybe take a step back. Call it leadership, call it influence. Why is that important? Wow. If I think about any relationship, there's an exchange. There's an exchange of ideas at the very least, and there could be an exchange of other things. The moment in which we're exchanging ideas, we are changing the way people think and thus inevitably changing what people do. And thus, a relationship I'm having with you means that I'm able to potentially influence your actions, which then influences the abilities, the, the lifestyle, the environment of all the people around you. That is exponential. Now that's just between one person and another person. What happens when I'm doing that with a hundred people and they are doing the same with 10 people? The moment we are able to visualize this, we see that ripple effect, the butterfly effect, the chaos theory for some people, but it is not chaotic if it is strategic and well-informed. And thus we see that if we are able to effectively influence one another, we can do an amazing good, but also we can also do horrendous things. Um, first case study that I'd like to share. So this takes me back to year eight, I believe. Um, two guys in my class had a disagreement. We'll call it that, a disagreement. And when you're in year eight, the problem when you have a disagreement in class is everybody makes a scene. Mm. You know, somebody just cussed the other person's mum. And then everybody makes their noises. Oh, and we had one guy in particular, Sam, who's still, a, he's a doctor now, Sam. But he had a laugh that <laughs> if you were being laughed at by Sam, you had to swing a punch because it just cut right down to your bone. And it was one of those situations where um, we'll call him, we'll call him Jason. Jason was being insulted uh, by Douglas and he felt it to the bone. Jason was a small guy, but we knew the rules in year eight. You have to go outside and you have to fight. 
So it's after school now. We've got a big circle around him. We've got Jason versus Douglas. Now, Douglas wasn't necessarily big, but he was he was thick. That's the word I'll use. And he was the type of person where he looked indestructible. Um, so we already knew how this fight was going to end. And inevitably, Jason was 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 destroyed by Douglas. But the next day after school, Jason came back with his cousin, his brother, his friends from school who should have, sorry, friends who didn't go to school but probably should have been in school on their BMXs. And it was a little army of them. And they didn't fight Douglas. They just took his money. Um, and I'm not saying this because ultimately I would like people to engage in violence or crime. But Jason in this instance showed some interest in leadership because what he couldn't do by himself, he was able to do with a community. I'll call it that. And that community was able to overcome significant challenges. And that is ultimately a picture of the lesson that we're talking about. If you have a vision that you want to make reality, like beating up Douglas, you may need a group of people to help you do it. In this instance, it might not be beating up Douglas, it might be starting a charity, it might be ending poverty, it might be uh, building a multi-million pound tech business, whatever it is, you realize that eventually, in order for you to overcome the significant hurdles in front of you, you'll need to build a community. And all of those communities, sorry, all of those individuals within the community must be united around a common cause, mm. which is let's beat up Doug. I mean, let's, let's create an incredible technology. Um, so... That is my random left-wing metaphor to kick us off. It's, it's needed because many people will be listening thinking, but I, we know this. You all know everything, but we don't apply it and we don't invest in it. Um, and I say we genuinely because there is never a point where you have cracked it. There's never a point where you have reached that ultimate level, although... Do study Maxwell. He does state that there are five stages of leadership, which are incredible, which we should talk about very soon. You've never reached that pinnacle. And thus it's worth investing in over time so that you can actually consciously improve your outcomes. Significant proof that I know that this is not lived, it's just thought of, is the amount of people who I currently come across through consulting um, as business owners or founders who are doing it solo. Mm. And my advice to them is go find a co-founder. Um, many people know that by influencing others and getting a team behind them, they can do so much more. But how many people are actually doing it, put, doing it, putting it into practice when it comes to something like building your business, when it comes to something like even doing a, a social project? Um, if we know that it's the case for silly things where you need a community to overcome it, then why are we not doing it instinctively when it comes to critical things? And it's because it's not innate, it's not ingrained in us yet. Not all of us. But as I'm reading, there are some who teach this at a fundamental level to their children and there are others who don't. 
um, mm. to explain that I've been reading a great deal about financial intelligence. And it, what it emphasizes is that some are taught this explicitly in the home around the dining table and others, i.e. myself, were not. So the question is, what are we going to teach our children? I would suggest identify all the things that you are not taught, which you value and start there. Mm. So I want to talk about our experiences around leadership. So I'll ask you first off, who do you think was the first individual in your life who embodied leadership? Positive leadership and why? Positive leadership is key there. That's the optimum word. My, the first leader, the first positive leader, I would say would have been my... Oh, another thought's come through. No, I'm going to keep her in the position. She gets the job. Um, it would be my older sister. Um, she's got a decade on me. And I would say that she was the first positive leader because she had to do things which, when I look back at her age, I think I would have struggled with. She had to be selfless. She had to sacrifice. Um, to paint the picture, uh, I moved around a great deal as a child and lived with a, a wide variety of different people. And very rarely did I live with her. But the task that she took upon herself as a 17, 18 year old was to ensure that I was close by, was to ensure that I was safe, was to ensure that I was um, not being maltreated or abused in any way, was to ensure that I had some semblance of an, a good childhood. So this might include just taking me out to buy me a pair of trainers, taking me to West End so I can hold her shopping bags and she'll buy me McDonald's, um, taking me away for the weekend so I could stay with her in, in her room that she was renting so that I was at least with a family member for one weekend out of the month. Um, what I saw through her was someone who led down, i.e. she was leading her younger siblings, doing this for me and doing this for her younger sister, but also led up navigating and um, mediating the, the older members of our family, telling them what they should be doing and, and how they should be aiding in certain situations. And that process of leading down and leading up and managing both groups impressed me because of her age. And also because she wasn't in a stable position herself. And thus there was, a, there was a sacrificial nature to her leadership, which I'll never really forget and will always truly love her for because she went above and beyond. And the more I think about it, the more the magnitude of it really just, just, just settles upon me. And I think, wow, could I have done that? And what did it take to do it? Well, what it took was the why. I don't know what her why was, but I imagine she wanted a family unit. And because of that, she was able to overcome so many hows, which I can now think about and think, wow, that was, how did you do that? Did you, con were you consciously aware at the time that this was leadership? No. And this is something that you wanted to embody? No. Um, I never saw it as leadership at the time, and I, I don't think I ever wanted to embody it, which I think makes it a great case study because 
oftentimes great leaders are doing that which other people don't want to do. Mm. And for those of us who are immature, we know what we don't want to do it, but we still critique them. When really mm. we should take a step back and appreciate that they're doing something that we don't want to do. Let us at least be balanced in our assessment or critique. I never saw it as leadership because she was my older sister. And I think at the time I just saw her doing what older sisters should do. But it's only now looking back that I see that she was going above and beyond at a, a stage in her life where she should have been focusing on her A-levels or, or just, just get going to uni. But she, she, she did all that. It was the, the juggling act which really impressed me. Um, she did all of that whilst I taking mean, care of us. It's, it's not necessarily a principle. And I do want to talk about some of the principles there, but it's not necessarily a principle. But I think part of what I'd like to highlight with that is that leadership can often be, un, can often go unnoticed and can very often be thankless. Um, and what you shared there is you were not cognizant of how somebody was providing value in your life, but that person did it anyway. Yeah. Um, she didn't ask for credit. She didn't ask for ovation. She just simply got on with it. Um, and I think there's two elements there. I think for 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 leaders and people who are un, un, under leaders, which is be aware. Try to be aware of all of the things that the leaders in your life are doing for you. Um, not just so that you can give them a pat on the back and say, hey, you know, well done, but more so, so that you can embody those principles too. Look for the things that can often go unnoticed so that you can look at how you can integrate some of those concepts in your life. Definitely. And I guess the second point is be aware that as a leader doing some of these thankless activities, that you're doing things for the greater good. You may never get a thank you, but the leadership that your sister imparted in you had a significantly positive impact on you. And you probably wouldn't be the person that you are today without that influence. So even if your sister never got a thank you, she could at least look at you and say, I played a part in that. Definitely, definitely. I think the, the only time I've, I've thanked her properly was I think at my wedding. And that was one of the few times in my life where I saw her cry she's always been that strong woman she's always embodied the law of sacrifice according to maxwell and those individuals they they deserve to be acknowledged but they know that their why is greater than any acknowledgement that you can give them so you talked about that briefly you talked about sacrifice can you can you delve into maxwell's principle of sacrifice there it simply and can you also say tell us how that kind of links in simply put the law of sacrifice is the ability to to give up to go up mm. um which is something that in itself alone and it is it's really important to acknowledge that maxwell suggests that these 21 laws individually are great and one might not accomplish all of them but if you were to master just a few that would be incredible just mastering the law of sacrifice on its own 
fundamentally shifts atmospheres because so many of us are so self-centered that we are not able to actually give to go up we're not able to concede something that we actually desire for a greater good even if it's what we want and it's a reason why you as a a business consultant see so many businesses which are just one step away from really blowing and it's usually because that person is not willing to give up on something for that thing that they actually want she was willing to give up on social relationships she was willing to give up financially she was willing to give up her time she was willing to give up her right to be a teenager for a kid um, but she did so because she saw what could be in the future, which is actually that this kid will one day grow up to a mere man. And irrespective of what he becomes, he will have the ability to influence others. How will he influence others? Will it be to take as much as he can? Or will it be for him to see laterally and see the greater good and how he can support others? Mm. And and to your to your point, I almost want to bring this back to something that other people can measure. I'd say that the mark of a good leader, listen to the way that they speak and identify what the priority of their communication is. Do they spend more time talking about what rights they have, what they're entitled to, what they believe they deserve? Or do they spend more time talking about their responsibilities, what they're supposed to do, what their duty is, how they should serve. So good leaders do the latter. Good leaders also talk about rights and and, and entitlement, but they talk about it in the context of other people's mm. rights and entitlement. They very rarely talk about their own. They talk about the reason why they have their responsibilities, their duties, the reason why they are in service is to enable other people to have their rights. Um, we can't have rights without responsibilities. So every right that you claim to have is only because other people have taken a responsibility to give you that right. Yeah. So I'd say if you find yourself talking constantly about what you're entitled to or internalizing what you're entitled to, I'd encourage you to take a step back and ask yourself the question, what must I do? What must I deliver in order to make these rights or this entitlement a valid request or a valid ask? And for even those who are not that self-sacrificing and purely just want to grow their business, um, the law of sacrifice, like all of the laws, fall under service, like Abby mentioned. Um, John Maxwell is a practicing Christian, was actually a, a preacher in his early years. And many of these principles embody biblical principles and principles which were exhibited by Christ. The idea of serving. If you serve people what they want, they will follow you in masses. Um, to look at the life of Christ, there was no um, telecommunications, there was no big uh, broadcasts or marketing. He simply served the few. And the few became many. Yeah. Apply that within your idea. Who can you serve now so that they want they will become many? Mm. 
Absolutely. To ask you the same question, who would you say, um, whether in your adult life or your formative years, was a positive influential leader? Um, there are so many to choose from, but I'm going to pick one who left an interesting stamp on my life. Um, we'll probably talk about more, but uh, his name was Eddie and he was a 15 year old when I was about 12 or 13. People might remember that I spent some time in the uh, cadet force when I was a kid and when I was brand new to the cadet force. Um, there was a Lance Corporal, and we had a rank structure um, in the Army Cadet Force. And the first rank that you would get is a Lance Corporal, um, and then you become a Corporal, then you become a Sergeant, etc., etc. And there was a Lance Corporal called Eddie. Um, and interestingly enough, I never referred to him as Eddie, I always referred to him as his last name. But I can't even remember his last name anymore. That's interesting. Um, but when I was brand new, one of the things that we had to do before we started any lessons or any training was uh, prepare the classroom. And he asked me to prepare the classroom, which was already different from what many of the other um, Lance Corporals would do. They would say, they would tell you to go and prepare the classroom, go set up the classroom. Yes, Corporal. He said, could you please set up the classroom? That was already a bit strange for me because I was like, well, you're supposed to tell me what to do, aren't you? But he didn't, he asked and I did. And then normally you're supposed to report back to your corporal. And remember, this is a 13 year old talking to a 15 year old and say, finish setting up the, the, the classroom corporal. And normally when you do that, they'd say, good, go outside or good, go do something else. He went and had a look at me setting up the classroom and saw that it was good and said, it's really good. Well done. I said, thank you, corporal. And I walked away. And that just had a massive impact on my life. I still think about that moment today, that this was an individual who was a leader, but he wasn't a leader in the traditional, stereotypical, military way. In the fact, in, in a way that you'd lead with an iron fist and lead almost as a dictator. He was very compassionate, very caring, and also very appreciative. And that well done, was one of the first times I'd ever heard well done outside of maybe school. Um, and definitely I couldn't remember another time that a 15 year old who I respected more than my teachers had told me well done. So I haven't seen this individual in well over 15 years, but he left a lasting impact, lasting stamp on my life. That sounds like the law of connection. I think Maxwell mm. coined it as leaders touch a heart before they ask for a hand. Did you feel that he was able to influence you greater after that exchange? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. By, by making that very small um, remark, what it did was it filled me with a sense of... Um, value self-worth and you just want to hear it again mm. you want to do something else to hear it again and i think the other thing about it is it was so genuine because you've we've all heard 
well done's or I'm proud of you's that have come from a place of obligation or of a place of routine. But when it when it's genuine, it hits different. Yeah. Um, and this almost links back to uh, Dale Carnegie, win friends and influence people, how to win friends and influence people, where he talks about providing compliments from a genuine place. Um, personally, unless people poke and prod me, I tend not to give compliments unless I absolutely mean them because I do not want to dilute the value of my compliments. Mm. I don't want to say something just because I feel like I'm supposed to say it. I want to say something because I mean it. Now, I think we could get into a whole conversation of maybe you should mean it more, but that's a different story. Um, but I remember thinking to myself that they, these well-dones, these don't happen very often with this individual because I didn't hear him say it often, but they happened in this instance. And that was very valuable to me. And how would you say that's impacted you as an adult? Well, I think it's definitely impacted my leadership style where, as I say, I don't, I, I think I try my best to be genuine. And I also try my best to connect with people. I try and understand who they are, where they're coming from and what's going to motivate them. Not everybody is motivated the same way, but I always try to connect with people on a below surface level. I feel like if I fail to connect with somebody um, below the superficial, then I feel like that is a bit of a failure for me because everybody has a story. Everybody has yeah. a human aspect to them that we should be trying to connect with. A, a mistake we make, and this might be due to Hollywood, but it's more than that, is the belief that leaders are to dictate mm. and even when we look at instances of some of the most notorious or notable dictators they didn't just dictate many of them connected i, I think about hitler i think about St stalin I think about mussolini mm. people had a, a visceral reaction to what they were saying they were not only great orators but I think through their oratory, they were able to connect to the hearts of the people. But their connection first meant that their dictation was eased. So mm -hmm. you, you have to connect first, not so that you can be a horrible dictator, but so that you can lead. That's why they were effective leaders. And I say effect, I, I didn't say great or good or positive, but effective because they were able to galvanize no, you're, many you're, people. You're right. You're right, and I feel like sometimes we we get nervous about saying certain things because we feel like it's a uh, a measure of our own morality. But sometimes we have to be objective and say things like Nigel Farage is a fantastic leader. Mm -hmm. Yep. And if if nobody spends the time actually dissecting his leadership skills, then they're missing a trick. Hitler was objectively a good leader mm. anybody who can amass that size an army and do the horrible things that he did on scale yeah has to have some good quality leadership behind them doesn't make them a good person and this is the point of this superpower series that we've had which is these these tools can be used for good or for evil 
but we hope that people are going to use them for good. Moving from who was the most influential leader, I'm interested now to really delve into our own leadership journey um, and, mm. and where we would say we are, because that sometimes shifts depending upon which area of our lives we're looking at. For you, in, in the different spheres within your life, what would you say you're working on in terms of your leadership and why? Mm, good question. So I, I want to talk about maybe my leadership journey in a bit before I talk about where I'm working on, because I think I've had a a really kind of interesting leadership journey. Starting out with the cadet force, I would highlight the fact that I was a cadet and looking up to these 15-year-old Lance Corporals and there was an opportunity for me to become a Lance Corporal, which was a, at the age of 13. It was a weekend training course, um, which I had to go away and you know do, do a whole load of uh, leadership assessments, um, including presentations, including actually leading a battle um, in the middle of the night, um, in, in t- taking other cadets on drills, um, all at the age of 13. And got to the end of the weekend, had my final assessment, and I failed. I didn't succeed, and that was a real big blow, and they provided me feedback as to why I didn't fail. And I'll summarise it as I just wasn't confident enough, and I didn't know enough. Um, because as a leader, I think those two things are linked. Confidence comes from knowledge in some instances. Um, and I, I just, I didn't know enough to be confident. Um, so I did the, I, I, it was a couple of months later where I reapplied to be a Lance Corporal. I did the whole test again and competed with other cadets and presented and, got some really positive feedback and I failed again. They said, you're getting there, you're so close, you're just not good enough, not yet. Um, and then I, that was a real knock to my confidence because I just didn't really understand. I thought I was a good leader. The people around me thought I was a good leader, but I was unable to demonstrate it to some of the, um, so, so some of the people that were examining me. And I really spent time looking at some of the people who passed that course and looked at the difference between them and I. One of the people who became a Lance Corporal um, when I failed was my friend Sam, the same guy in the class whose laugh would cut through you. He became a Lance Corporal before I did. And I was starting to just examine the way that he carried himself. And the key difference, I think, between him and I is that I was trying to be a leader almost from an academic standpoint and he just was. Mm. It wasn't a performance. It wasn't him acting. He just was. And he was being linked back to what I said about Eddie. He was being genuine. He was just being himself, which in some cases was being a bit weird and kooky, which in some cases was saying the wrong thing. But he was able to connect with people because he was just happy to be himself even if it didn't always look the most proper. So I passed the next time around. Long story short, I did the test and I passed. And I passed it with ease because I just stopped trying. It's almost like 
when you finally let go of some of the rigid kind of ideas of leadership and you just relax into who you are, it's so much easier to, for people to see who you are. Um, it was almost like, yeah, I was, I was, I could breathe underwater in mm. a sense because I was going through these challenges, but I was doing it with ease. Um, and long story short, once I'd unlocked that kind of nugget, I just flew through the rank structure. I became a, I went from a lance corporal to a corporal to a sergeant um, to uh, a color sergeant and then became a regimental sergeant major, which meant effectively I was the most senior cadet in London at one point. And I did that between the ages of 13 and or 14 and 17. I actually was the youngest one to, to achieve that. Um, and normally each rank that you go up takes about a year. Um, and I only share this story because I think many of us, when we, when we approach leadership, we approach it with the mindset of, I need to, I need to embody what I've seen mm. rather than I need to find out my own language as a leader. And I need to develop my own confidence in myself as a leader. You can't be a leader unless you have a good understanding of yourself. And I think for me, that was something which needed to be unlocked. And I think from then it trans transferred into other areas of my life. I started working and I was given responsibilities there. Um, I th then moved into a role um, within the company where we both worked, where I was a, a team leader again, which gave me the opportunities to gave me the opportunity to develop that leadership even further. I won't talk about my um, experience as a team leader because I'd say my formative experience as a leader came in the cadet force and everything after that was tacked on. Everything after that was kind of just a, a software update of some of the key principles I learned as, as a leader. In terms of challenges now, I would say that the key challenge that I face and I have to keep reminding myself of is around patience. Because at, at, at 17, 18 years old, you have understandable patience because you're dealing with young people. You're dealing with people from all manner of backgrounds, people from difficult homes, etc. And you just appreciate that these are young children who require that patience. As I've gotten older, my instinct is to look at adults and say, you should know this by now. Mm. But not having patience or compassion for the child within them. And for me, that is a constant challenge for me, mainly because of my experiences as a, as a young person becoming an adult, where I didn't necessarily get anything fed to me. I had to figure it out myself. But that constant compassion for individuals and understanding that, you're on your journey too, and maybe it's going to take you until you're 40 for you to, to kind of learn what maybe I learned in my 20s or 30s. So be it, you know, let me be somebody who can help you on that journey. So that's, I'd say, would still be my current challenge that I'm trying to overcome. Hey, bro, how's it going? I'm dry. You're trying. <laughs> For the people who are listening, um, how do I how do I delve into this? Um, we were having a conversation, and 
Afalabi had to stop because his house became flooded and had to rush off to go and sort that out. Um, so this podcast is actually one that's been two weeks in the running or two weeks in the making. The first half was produced two weeks ago and we've only just been able to come back together and record the second half. Now, I'm grateful that we're coming back largely because this is a really important topic for me, one which requires continual learning for myself and I think for all of us. The, the better our leadership, the better our quality of lives. We're all leading ourselves and inevitably we're all going to be leading others. So thank you for your patience, people. Um, thank you for any concerns. Everyone's safe. House is safe. We're dry. <laughs> uh, before we start, Abby, you were speaking so eloquently about your experience of leadership at a young age. And I just sat and listened because it was really important to to not interrupt what you were sharing. And you were sharing some really golden nuggets around the challenges you faced. You were extremely transparent and about instances of leadership which stood out to you. And I think two, two things which I think would really want to capture moving forward is one, the importance of patience. As we are leading other people, we know that other people are extremely volatile. And we know that everyone has a different learning curve. For some, myself included, it has been two steps forward, five steps back. And that requires whoever is leading me, um, whether I'm conscious of that person or not, to take their time and to, to give me a, a little bit of uh, time to actually develop into the individual that they think that I could be. The point which I really wanted to, um, to hone in on was your one about leadership styles. And I think this is a key one for contemporary society, where oftentimes we think we have to fit and be exactly like certain individuals. Um, if you're a budding actor, you might have an actor or an actress that you admire, and the mistake you could make is to try to completely magpie them and embody them. The same thing happens for sportsmen and women, people in business. Sometimes we have a, a model, a role model, and we try to be that person. When in reality, there is something uniquely brilliant within us, which just needs to be honed. And I think you shared that once you started to do it your way, in terms of leadership with integrity and leading with an authentic voice, it became successful. And that's something which I have had to learn, and I, I know others have had to learn too. So it's a really important takeaway lesson. I think my mm. question to you would be, um, with your knowledge right now, how are you investing in your leadership journey? That's a really good question. And I've had to think about that quite a bit over the last couple of months because it gets to a point when, not to sound too big-headed, but the gains that you're making in your leadership ability become much more incremental. Mm. Um, when I was a lot younger, you'd learn some very influential, impactful nuggets of information, which would literally just transform your leadership style overnight. Learning those important questions to ask, like, how are you? but not just saying it, but actually meaning it. But nice. then when you when you feel like you've 
establish your leadership style, then we're looking at those marginal gains. And for that, I've really had to learn through osmosis. Um, and that's identifying some really impactful leaders and shadowing them. Yes. And watching how they w work and how they move. And then making a decision about what it is of theirs that I want for myself. When I think, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the analogy. Um, one of my favorite characters, um, comic book characters growing up was Rogue, mm. um, of the X Men. And her power was that she could absorb other people's powers, mm. and that is the approach that I'm taking now. So, I have various mentors, um, some within my company, some within my church, who've just been doing this a lot longer than me. Mm -hmm. and I just observe them, I watch them, and they have some good habits and some bad habits, and my aim is to try and take as many of the good habits whilst leaving behind the bad habits. Mm. So that is one of the key ways I think I'm still investing in my learning, just shadowing some seasoned leaders and developing my own personality by, by learning from them. And the other thing that I do is read and study. Fortunately for me, leadership is just a subject which I find fascinating. So it's not hard for me to watch a TED talk or read a book about leadership. Um, I've currently got a book called Elders, um, which is about being an elder within a church, which I'm delving into. And these, these books, one thing I would say about these books is a lot of them are about three to 400 pages long. But now I'm getting to the point where there's probably two or three nuggets of information which could have been summarized on a page. Yes. <laughs> and my job is to find those nuggets and summarize them and move on. Um, and this links back to one of my previous statements, which is I don't always finish books when I feel like I've got the point because sometimes um, people can, can highlight a point and then spend the next 200 pages just adding illustration upon illustration to cement that point. Yes. Um, so that is another thing that I'm doing. I'm reading and I'm trying to absorb lessons from scholars, philosophers, uh, theo theologians who've actually done the work to distill some of this important information into bite size or in some cases longer um, books, which I can, uh, which I can learn from. But I've got to, I've got to knock that question back at you. What is your current method of investing in your leadership? It is. I'm, I'm trying to find instances where it's different because it's almost entirely identical. It's it's environment for me. Um, I'm at some point going to just note down simple sentences of lessons, life lessons, which I can just share with my children. Just do these things. And one of those is that environment is everything. So I'm mm. very sensitive in terms of the environments that I'm in. I, I will pick to work somewhere based upon how much I know they're going to invest in me. That is fundamental. Um, I've done that recently where I've picked somewhere which is considerably poorer in terms of outcomes than another environment. 
simply because I know that the Avengers have been parachuted in and I'm going to learn a great <laughs> deal just being amongst them. So situating myself with people who have done it, who have done it so much that when they speak about it, it's so concise. It's like, how did I not know this already? They make it seem like it's common sense and books, as you say. Um, it's funny, I've, I've heard many people say that they now skim read books, largely because of what you said. I, once you've read quite a few books, you realize that there are some who are repeating the same ideas. I've, I've got books which I could summarize into simple sentences. This book is about this. This is a lesson from this book. This is a lesson from that book. The books which really impress me is when there are more than five lessons from the single book, but there are a lot of mm. them where it's just three. So that is it. In response to <clears throat> what you said previously, I remember the adage of wisdom is the ability to learn from other people's mistakes. And I think that's mm. why it's so important for us to really observe the world around us. There's, there was a famous quote about, if you wish to overcome the world, you need to observe it. And I cannot remember mm. who said that, but it always, always resonated with me that let us be really awake. Let us not sleepwalk yeah. through this process because the, the answers are there and success leaves clues, another cliche. But yes, environment, meaning individuals, books, and, and just those who have interesting ideas, asking the right questions, asking people how and why. Mm. I, I don't wanna finish on a sour note, so I'm gonna think of another question after this one. But for the moment, I just want us to have a think about poor leadership traits. We've all we've all had a bad leader in our life, or maybe multiple leaders in our life. So I guess my challenge for us is maybe let's go back to back for a bit and identify some poor leadership traits that either we want to avoid or that we've seen in other people mm. that do the exact opposite um, of the in intended purpose. Brilliant. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to kick off. No, what let's, is a poor <laughs> poor leadership trait let's, that you've identified? Let, let's do this. I, I love the back-to-back. -back. Um, the first one which came to mind is not the first... Actually, no, the first one which, which came to mind is the first one I'm going to mention, which is a lack of compassion. Now, mm. I don't think this is the most important, although sometimes I do. We're dealing with human beings, and human beings are emotional, and we have to be compassionate about their experiences. Someone is going to drop the ball. When they drop the ball before berating them for dropping the ball, take a moment to actually review how and why they have dropped that ball so you can help them in that moment because they would mm. perform better long-term with help rather than rebuke. So first, a lack of compassion. Love it. I'm gonna go with lack of confidence. Now, some people give confidence a bad rap. I'm not talking about arrogance, which is when you think you know it all, but when people lack confidence, they are very unsure of their steps. And why is it important for a leader to have confidence? Because they are the ones who are navigating through the unknown. Mm. Um, a good leader isn't afraid to ask questions. They aren't afraid to broaden out their understanding, but ultimately they know that the, the decision ends with them. So having confidence isn't the ability to make decisions by yourself it's the ability to take information from wherever it comes even people that are smarter than you and then making the right decision based on that information so having confidence is key 
And those leaders that have a lack of confidence, I'd say are people that make me feel very, very nervous. Yes. Yes. Fantastic point. Point four. Plopper. One three, bro. One three. Oh, forgive me. <laughs> uh, poor planning. Poor planning. Um, the mm. inability to effectively plan forwards and mm -mm. backwards. Uh, forwards and backwards. By this, I mean thinking not only about the steps which need to be taken to achieve success, but also thinking retrospectively. If this fails pre mortem, what would have led to it failing? So thinking ahead, one year, five years, what you've planned to do has crumbled abysmally. What led to that failure? Think about that now. And ensure that each of those points which you've identified are points which you invest in. Um, leaders who fail to plan lead people into the abyss. Mm. Point three, poor planning. Point four, poor stakeholder management. And I see this all the time. You have got a plan. You've got a vision. It's a fantastic idea. However, you haven't actually brought anyone along on that journey. So when you're in the process of executing, you're the only person who knows the story back mm. to front. You're the only person who knows the plan back to front, which means that the people around you, the people tasked with actually helping you realize your vision, have no idea how best they can support. They don't know what's being expected. The other element of poor stakeholder management is the people who you are working for have no idea what you're doing. They don't know when the deadline is. They don't know whether you're going to meet it. They don't know if you've spent enough, um, if you spent more or less money than was expected. And they don't know whether you're actually helping to do what they've asked you to do. So this is absolutely key. Without the ability to communicate with the people who are going to help you make your vision a reality, you have nothing. So that's that's for poor stakeholder management. Five was going to be communication. And I was going to explain how it's slightly different to stakeholder management until you use the word communication. Um, mm. But, I, but <laughs> Sorry. no, but it's fine because you're right. I will flip this to communication and vision. So vision mm. setting, okay, what is the actual yeah. vision? What can people buy into? What are you selling, which is going to improve everyone's experience? Can you sell? That ability to sell through the ability to communicate, which or could be three separate, as in sell, vision, communication, can hinder one's success. Communication is not only verbal, but it's also non-verbal. So we're thinking about how we are conveying messages our message, thinking succinctly, if you know that you're not a proficient communicator, plan what you are going to say and think about how this might be received. Read the people who are going to receive it. What are they interested in and what are they not interested in and focus on them. Communication. Love it. My next one is a lack of risk mitigation. Now that's a really wordy statement there. I'm going to also call it being too optimistic. Mm. This is when you've got a fantastic idea, a fantastic plan, and you really do believe that nothing can go wrong. And that's because you haven't spent the time actually looking at what could go wrong. What are the risks mm. to this? And how might it affect the people that I'm leading? A good leader is conscious of all of the things around them and how they could negatively impact their team or how they could negatively impact their project. So being too optimistic 
can actually lead to failure and can lead to catastrophe. Mm. So a good leader looks at the risks and plans. This is what we're going to do if this happens. This is what we're going to do if that happens. And a bad leader kind of sleepwalks through life and hopes everything will be okay in the end. Yes. Next one. Poor leaders have a fixed mindset and feel threatened by other people's success. As they feel threatened by other people's success, they wish to become dictators and not leaders. By that I mean they do not wish to propel other people into positions of leadership. They ineffectively delegate or do not delegate at all solely because they want to be seen as the savior on the white horse. They want their name in the shining lights so much so that it could not happen to the detriment of the entire project. So Mm. poor leaders have a fixed mindset, drilling into that fixed mindset. They do not wish to invest in other people's leadership or see anyone else lead. It has to be about them and them alone. Yeah, that's such a good one. And I mean, to add to that, I'll just say a lack of willingness to serve. I think Mm. I was thinking about delving into that myself as a bullet, but I think if I just add to what you've just said and said, say a lack of willingness to serve, as you said, being a dictator, um, is yeah something which is very detrimental. A good leader is a leader who serves their team. My next one is the exact opposite to my previous one. Previously, I said being too optimistic. The next attribute of a poor leader is being too pessimistic. Saying mm. no to every innovative or broad idea that comes across them. Not being willing to stretch their own capacity and not being willing to step into the unknown, step outside of their comfort zone. So a good leader is open to new ideas, looks for innovation, and is keen to implement as many smart ways of working Mm. as possible. A poor leader sticks to what they know, doesn't like change, and ultimately doesn't like anything that is new or fresh to them. So being overly pessimistic. You've taken my next one, which is about being a learner and being willing to study Mm. and read. Um, I'm not going to make it into a separate one. I'm just going to add to Abby's previous one. As leaders, we need to study. It is it's crucial that we, actually to make it different, it is crucial that we study so much so that we can get closer to knowing what we do not know and employ or deploy people who know it. What I mean by that is I need to, in my organisation, know what is needed that I cannot provide and to find the person who can provide it so that they can actually execute on that part of the mission. That will only come through me studying. So there is the adage of you want to specialize in one thing. Abby mentioned it previously. Really, you want to have proficiency in a number of things so that you know that whilst you are good in this area, other people are great and you need to employ or deploy someone great in the area. Studying. Okay, so for me, I'm going to say lack of get up and go, lack of self-motivation. Now, within a team, the leader is the quote-unquote inexhaustible resource of motivation. It is their role to motivate and encourage Mm. other team members. And therefore, if you have a leader who is miserable or doesn't have any self-motivation themselves, this has a knock-on effect on everybody else in the team. 
And in some cases, some team members will actually pull resource or capability away from what they're doing to motivate or encourage the leader, which is not what you want. So it's so important for leaders to be motivational and to be that driving force, the engine behind the team. Mm. I've seen it way too many times when leader is the one who needs that push, who needs that encouragement. And ultimately that's taking away from all of the other team members. Very dangerous. I'd say we can do one more round and call it there. I think we've given the te- given, given everyone quite a bit. We've given everyone. Okay. So last one, I'm going to give two in one. So, um, <laughs> so fallibility and uh, poor recruitment. So fallibility, owning where you've made messed up. We don't like leaders who cover up their mess. You've stolen my one, bro. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> carry on, carry on, carry on, carry on. Poor recruitment. <laughs> it is crucial that you recruit well. Now, why is this the responsibility of the leader? Well, everyone who comes into organization is looking to that person. They're going to be led by that person. And if there are biases in their recruitment, that will work to the detriment of the team. So they cannot be blinded by family by culture, by creed, you, you have to be making unbiased decisions and not just recruiting people because, hey, we're all X. It should work. Mm. No. Fallibility. Yes. <laughs> um, I was going to use the statement inauthenticity or being inauthentic. Um not being honest about who you are. And as you said, not being honest about your mistakes. I think there are many leaders who want to portray this kind of image of untouchable, um, infallible, and believe that that is the best way that they can get people to support them or get behind them. But ultimately, the, the leaders who are the most effective are the leaders who are genuine, who will say, I don't know the answer to this question, or the leaders who say, I made a mistake today. And... You know, I apologize. Those are the leaders who ultimately get the trust and get the admiration and respect of mm. their team. Whereas the leaders who portray this kind of untouchable gloss are the ones who really um, don't get that intimacy that mm. helps the project or helps the, the team progress long term. I'm thinking about how to end this on a really pithy, inspirational quote to really emphasize the importance of leadership. And I can't think of one, but I'm just going to steal steal Maxwell's leadership is influence and link it to what you said about intimacy. We're dealing with people. And I think that the biggest mistake which is made by leaders is that they forget that they're dealing with people. You made a great point about not seeing the child within the adult. None of us are going to work intending to do a bad job, even when we hate what we do. And thus our leader needs to have that um, bird's eye view of this this situation and to be able to see sometimes before the person can almost self-diagnose what the issue might be and to know what the next steps are. For example, I've seen X. X does not normally behave that way. Someone told me about X previously and this situation occurred. X needed to do this today. Today might not be the best day for X to do it. Let me hold off on that and actually say to X, I know that today isn't a good day. Let's review this again tomorrow. X will petition that, no, they're up for it. 
wanting to go back onto the battlefield wounded, don't allow them to do that. They will appreciate you the following day for giving them an extra day. Be human. Mm. I just I just want to end on one of uh, Maxwell's um, laws. It's one of the later laws. I believe it's law number 20, which is around multiplication. Mm-hmm. And what I want to do is implore anyone listening today to consider that you are not just a leader in the making. You're actually a leader of leaders in the making. And that's a mm-hmm. big distinction. Because when you remember that it's not just your responsibility to lead a team, but it's your responsibility to nurture them and create leaders, then I think it gives you the insight that you need to change your approach. Your responsibility is not to be a dictator or to be a instructor. Your responsibility is to be somebody who rises up new leaders. And this doesn't necessarily just need to be in a working environment. This can be in your home. Are you helping turn your children or your partners into better leaders? Um, It can be in your church. It can be in your social groups. Anywhere you see an opportunity to raise up new leaders and give them tools to become stronger, more competent individuals, you should take that that opportunity. And ultimately, by doing that, you'll identify limitations in yourself which will inhibit you from doing that effectively. So remember, you're not just a leader in the making. You are a leader of leaders. Extremely important point. Please do read Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. As both, as both Abby and I have mentioned, there are many, once you've read several books, you start to realise that there's synergies between them, especially within the same genre. And many of them can be, dense, can be condensed to one or two bullet points. I can't condense Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws into one or two bullet points. And that's what makes it a great book for me. So do read it. It will influence, it will impact, it will challenge your thinking. And more than anything else, it, it will improve how you treat one another. And that's the key. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of Expensive Lessons, long overdue. We apologize. Um, we just hope that you enjoyed this. We hope that you take on the lessons that we've shared. And we look forward to you catching up with us next time for another expensive lesson. Take care. Take care, everyone. <laughs>